welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. I'm here with my co-host, Alex Spears. Alex, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night when the Memphis Grizzlies arrived in L.A. on an 11-game winning streak with only the Lakers and Shannon Sharp standing between them and a franchise (laughs) record winning streak. There were fireworks at halftime when the 54-year-old Sharp began talking trash to Dylan Brooks, which somehow led to a shouting match involving John Morant, John Morant's dad, and Steven Adams with his hair down. In the second, it was back to basketball, where the Lakers outscored the Grizzlies by nine in the fourth quarter to get the much-needed win, 122-121. Russell Westbrook was the Lakers' leading scorer in the game with a season-high 29 points. On Saturday, the Sixers traveled to Sacramento without Joel Embiid, without James Harden, and beat the Kings 129-127. Tyrese Maxey had 32 points in the game, including 15 in the third quarter. The win against the Kings was the Sixers' fifth straight win all on the road. They won their sixth straight later in the week against Brooklyn, setting up the marquee matchup you may be watching as I speak on Saturday afternoon against Jokic and the Nuggets. On Sunday, the Nets, without Kevin Durant, beat Golden State 120-116 at the Chase Center, where the Warriors were 17-5 coming into the game. Kyrie scored 38, and Nick Claxton went for 24-15 in the win. The Nets are 2-6 since Kevin Durant's injury, but remain in the fourth seed in the East. On Monday, we got our first major trade of the season. The Washington Wizards sent former top 10 pick Rui Hachimura to the Lakers for Kendrick Nunn and three second round picks. Now, you may remember Rui as the first Japanese player ever taken in the first round of the NBA draft. Or if you're Shaquille O'Neal, you may have never heard of him in your life. Rui adds some much-needed size to the Lakers. Now, HispanosNBA.com, my number one source for average height, weight, and age of NBA teams, says that the Lakers are still the shortest team in the league, but they are wrong, Andrew. I did the math. I converted every Lakers' height to centimeters. Using the conversion, one inch equals 2.54 centimeters. And guess what? The Lakers are now the 20th tallest team in the league. Wow. Update your stats, HispanosNBA.com. <laughs> On Tuesday, the Miami Heat had an impressive 98-95 victory over the league-leading Boston Celtics. In the fourth quarter, the Heat came back from 10 down, scoring 15 straight on the Celtics. Boston could only manage 13 points in the final frame, matching their lowest points total for a quarter this season. The Heat have won six of their last eight, moving into the sixth spot in the East. Now, for Boston, all you need to know is contained in a tweet from Adam Himmelsbach, a Celtics writer for the Boston Globe. Before the game, he tweeted, quote, Joe Missoula just walked past Marcus Smart in the locker room, did a full somersault in front of him, turned and said, you can't do that, then walked out. Asked Smart if this was some kind of inside joke. He said he had no idea where it came from or what it was about. The Celtics have lost three in a row. 
On Wednesday, Damian Lillard scored 60 points on 29 shots, including 9 of 15 from 3. Only James Harden and Karl Malone have reached 60 on fewer shots, though both of those players took 20 free, 23 free throws each, while Dame only had 10. The Blazers got a much-needed win over the Utah Jazz, but remained two games under 500. The other big moment on Wednesday was a rematch of last year's playoff matchup between the Grizzlies and the Warriors. With a minute left in the game, Steph threw his mouthpiece in frustration. After Jordan Poole had taken an ill-advised three, Curry was ejected, with the Warriors only leading by two. The Grizzlies would come back, tying the game up with six seconds left on a Brandon Clark dunk, but it was Jordan Poole, whose poor shot selection had led to Steph's ejection just a minute earlier, who hit a game-winning layup with two seconds left. The Warriors are back to 500 at 24-24. and And the Grizzlies, meanwhile, who early in the week were on the verge of setting a franchise record for consecutive wins, have now lost four in a row. Finally, on Thursday, the All-Star starters were announced. In the East, we've got Kyrie, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, KD, and Giannis. In the West, it's Steph, Luka, LeBron, Zion, and Jokic. If we're talking snubs, Embiid not being a starter seems to be the biggest quibble people have so far. The All-Star Reserves will be announced next Thursday on TNT. And speaking of the All-Star game, it was announced this week that the All-Star Draft will now happen immediately before the All-Star game, adding some extra intrigue to the festivities. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week it was. I cannot wait for the All-Star Draft. That should be so much fun. And you'll be there. I will be there. Ready to watch the draft in person. Uh, Al, it's, it's Rivalries Week in the NBA. And we, got <laughs> yeah, to see, we got to see Embiid versus Simmons, which is a mm-hmm. very fun game. Uh, ben Simmons played well for the most part. He didn't close the game, but it just led me to think, who is Ben Simmons? Like We've been through so much with Ben Simmons and his young career. It's just like, let's, let's figure out who he is. So I dug into some stats. So... The good. Let's start with good. It's always good to start with 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 better things. The three lineups that have 100 possessions or more, the most according to Cleaning the Glass, all have a positive net rating. So that's good. Irving, all, the ones, all the ones that Simmons is in? Yeah. The three most played lineups with Simmons all okay, are positive. Okay, okay, okay. So Irving, Royce O'Neal, Simmons, Durant, Claxton, plus three. Irving, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Simmons, Claxton, no KD, has been a plus 9.4, which has helped mm-hmm. kind of buoy them. And then Irving, Royce O'Neal, Harris, Simmons, Durant, their small ball lineup, plus 6.7. Now that seems pretty good. Okay. And overall, he's a positive for the Nets, a plus 1.3, just barely positive on both offense and defense, but still positive. That's where the positivity ends for me, Al. Uh, when you take a look at the rest, it's kind of tough to to take in. So it's just overall his stats: seven points per game, six and a half boards, six and a half assists, one and a half steals, 0.6 blocks per game, shooting fifty six percent from the field, a career low five point nine attempts per game. Mm. We're gonna get we'll have more on that here in a little bit. Zero of zero from three on the season, and twenty five of fifty six. From the free throw line, good for 44%. According to Synergy, Ben Simmons is in the 13th percentile in all for all possessions on offense. 0. 0.80 points per possession when Simmons has the ball. That's not good. 
you think of like, okay, who could that be worse than? Like, nobody could be worse than PJ Tucker. It's worse than PJ Tucker. Oh wow! Who's at point okay. eight eight possession <laughs> okay. uh, points per possession this season? Really bad. It's a lot of jump hooks. It's a lot of turnaround hooks. Like that's kind of what his game is. Trying to get his game going to the basket. Now you think, okay, that's bad. It's probably all half court stuff in transition. He's got to be great. He's even worse in transition this season. 0.78 points per possession. That's the eighth percentile. 92% of the league is better than Ben Simmons in transition this year, which is just not okay. Like that, yeah, that, that, that one's one, kind of mind blowing. That one's the most disturbing stat to me. Okay, it's like, I, that's fine. Like he's, we know he's a good passer. He still has great size for his position. Like those things are still true. And defensively, he's got to be good, right? Well, even the defensive numbers don't like him this year. He's in the 34th percentile for all defensive possessions, according to Synergy. So while he's still a smart and versatile defender, he's just not the same. He's not affecting defense the way he did when he was with Philly. In 1920, he was a force then. He was in the 76th percentile, which is just so interesting. 76, 76, 76, oh, all yes, over the yes, place. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, and he was even an average player on offense. He was in the 47th percentile as an offensive player at 0.94 points per possession. Really his last like normal season that we saw him. Uh, he was a great player, but he's just not that anymore. And then, then you have the weirdness. Jacques Vaughn had this to say after the Pistons game and it, it's just weird. I'll, I'll let you have a listen. Well, I think, uh, Christian, the, the goal is, uh, in, in my eyes, I'll say this, is for everyone to play every game and to do what's necessary to be prepared to play every game. Um, there's a certain amount of minutes that each individual played in Philly. Uh, some play equally tonight. Uh, so the preparation that it takes going into that, um, you just have to of give credit to the guys who were prepared to play, ready to play, did what was necessary to get their bodies ready to play. So that's that's not great. He was referencing Ben Simmons. They were asking about, the question was about Ben and about if the, there should be concern about his knee or his wh- whatever's going on. He said it was not a contusion. It was soreness. And, and, and that was... And the- and the context was it was the second night of a back-to-back where they yes. were playing Detroit, who beat them. And yes. Simmons played, but he only played yeah. 20 minutes, and he was 0 for 3, didn't play yeah. the rest of that game. Yeah. And was it like Isaiah Stewart was just kind of having his way with him. It was, not, it, was not a, it was not a great game for Simmons. And so you just have this just like constant weird storyline. And then there's the money, which is a, which is a big, big issue. Um, He's 22nd in salary this season, 35.4 million this year. Goes up to 37.8 next year. The following year, 40.3 million in 24-25. And like that's fine. Even if he's like this like big point guard that defends, you can figure out a way for it to work. But his shot attempts are so low, Al. You have to go all the way to the 66 highest paid player in the league to find someone who shoots less than Ben Simmons. And it's Nick Batum. Nick Batum is the 66 highest paid player. And that's how far you have to go to find somebody that shoots less shots per game than Ben Simmons. And Batum makes 19 million. It's going to go down to 11 million. And the facts, the fact is he's 34 years old. And like that's 
part of the reason why he's getting paid the amount that he is because he's had such a great career and is such a good glue guy that he makes that. The other guys that have like shot totals that are that low, like Kevin Love shoots seven shots a game and makes $28 million. Draymond Green takes six shots a game. He's making $25.8 million. But they're both 30. Kevin Love's 34. Draymond Green is 32, almost 33 years old. They're getting paid that money because of the way that they played when they were 26. Ben Simmons is 26. Like this is this is just a really big problem for them. Uh, you know, Simmons is still a really interesting player. Lefty, great passer, huge for his position. Still holds the nicknames Simo the Savage, Young Socialite, mm. Fresh Prince, Peacemaker, Benny, the Yank, Big Ben, the Wizard of Oz. Well, that's entirely too many nicknames. It's a lot of Simmons. nicknames, but what what do you do if you're the Nets? So there's been people saying you should trade Ben Simmons. Great. Cool idea. What trades are out there? I put together a few. Alex, tell me what you think really? of these Ben Simmons oh, wow. trades. Okay. Yes. Um, first one. Maybe the, maybe the Raptors are ready to tear things down. What about Ben Simmons and an unprotected 2028 pick? For Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr., is that something you think the Raptors bite on? Uh, no. Okay. If if he was at expiring, maybe. But even then, but he has two years left beyond this year. He's got two years left. That's a tough one. What about? What if we want to just uh, undo the sins of two different franchises? What if it's Ben Simmons okay. and Nick Claxton for Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves? No, no. Okay. I, I no. I don't even want okay. to talk about that one. What about the Wizards? The Wizards are an interesting team. They just have they? guys on their team. Uh huh. What about Ben what Simmons about? and and an unprotected twenty eight pick for Will Barton, Delon Wright, and Monte Morris? Uh, I mean that's. I still don't think the Wizards would do that. But that's the first one where I'm like, would the Wizards do that? Probably not. But would they? I don't know. I don't know. It's at least kind of interesting. What about Ben Simmons oh and Unprotected just, 28? Hold, hold on. I'm just thinking about <laughs> them trading for Simmons and then re-signing Kuzma to whatever he's going to get. And now you yeah. have like Porzingis, Kuzma, Simmons, and Bradley Beal totaling like $160 million or whatever. Yeah. Feels, uh, so feels, no, a little no. wizard, feels a little wizardsy to me. It feels a okay. little wizardsy, but still. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bridge too, maybe a bridge too far for even the <laughs> yeah. Wizards. Uh, what about Ben Simmons and an unprotected 28 pick to the Portland Trailblazers for Yusuf Nurkic and Josh Hart? Hmm. Try to maximize Lillard. Maybe they maybe they just have a belief that Simmons can get back on track if he's maybe out of New York. Yeah. Bring him here. You have like all these like Swiss Army knives around Lillard. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're just running uh, and gunning. Maybe you just say Ben Simmons, you are our center. That's what you are. I mean, I do think uh, Josh Hart is, is going to be Trey. I was listening to the Jack Ramsey's mailbag show, and, and Dana yeah. was very convinced that Josh Hart is going to not be on the team after the deadline. Um, moving Nurkic, getting off of that contract, which they just signed, yeah. would be nice. Yeah, you are replacing uh, that problem with a problem roughly double the size in terms of the salary. I, I just don't he know. He made if, all NBA team a few years ago, you know. He did, and we can keep saying that till the it end. Happened. We can say that in twenty years about him because it'll still be true. <laughs> it'll uh, be true. I, yeah, I, I just don't know if you can do that. 
I mean, yeah. at some point you can do it. I mean, no player is untradeable, but yeah. for a single unprotected pick, I just don't know if that's going to get the job done, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What about this one? Simmons and a top 10 protected 2028 pick mm-hmm. to the Charlotte Hornets for Gordon Hayward and James Booknight. For Gordon Hayward and James Booknight. Okay. Uh, Booknight's only there to, how- get, to make the money work. Uh, Gordon Hayward has two years left at 30, 30, He has 30 two plus. years left as well. Uh, no, a, oh, no, a year after this. A year after this. He'll be expiring next year. No. No. <laughs> that was the only one where I'm like, okay, maybe. Maybe this one. I love that you snuck James Booknight in there. Yeah, I, just... I, just <laughs> The first, the first time his name has been said on a podcast this year, I think. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think Ben Simmons trades will eventually become more yeah. feasible in the same way that uh-huh. once upon a time it seemed impossible that the Lakers would trade Westbrook, and now you can come up with a couple trades that might make sense yeah. for both sides. Now that we're at the kind of end of the road, that will eventually happen with Simmons. I do not believe we are there yet. Yeah. What if it was Westbrook for Simmons and the Lakers got a pick? No, <laughs> no, that's, I'm, I'm, that's where I landed too. I was actually texting Fred Katz about that, and we were just like, "Yeah, no, 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 can't do this." No, I was just thinking about the Lakers shooting and then bringing Simmons oh. into that. Yeah, you can't do it. You just absolutely can't do it. So the Nets are just in a weird spot with Simmons. I don't know what you do. I don't know if you just hope that things get better or that he bounces back as a, a better defender as things go along. The comments from Jacques Vaughn are not encouraging, but the, they're in a weird spot with Ben Simmons, which has been a sentence that has been said over and over again for a long time. And at first it was like, all we need him to do is play. Now he has played and it, he is noticeably different. Now he's still 26. There's still time for things to turn around for him, but things are you know, the Brooklyn Nets have an opportunity here this year. I th- yeah, I, I, think I was going to say, if you have I a healthy KD and Kyrie, you're going to have a chance. And I just wonder if Ben needs to be there for them or if they can find a way to at least get off the money and give themselves some flexibility. And I think the thing that would make you feel better as a Nets fan is the fact that they still have assets they could potentially move at the deadline without having to think about Simmons. Like sure. They still have the, the Joe Harris contract. They have the future pick that they got from Philly. So like they could still potentially do something without having to worry about Simmons. And you kind of just play this out and see what happens in the playoffs. Um, It's definitely an issue, but at least they have some outs. They still have some flexibility. Mm -hmm. And Nick Claxton has been awesome for them. Like he has started to blossom for them. That's, that's one reason why you can like put aside all of this angst about Ben Simmons. He's been great. But yeah, just focus on Claxton. Just focus on Claxton. Sti- still an issue. Still an issue <laughs> with the Nets. Uh, speaking of flexibility, Andrew, I want to talk about the Suns, the Phoenix Suns, because I picked them as my biggest swing team of the second half a couple weeks ago, and there have been some developments on that front that I wanted to discuss. Uh, first off, they have started to get some guys back from injury, and those guys are playing well. Cameron Johnson. Made his return yeah. after meniscus surgery, an injury that caused him to miss two and a half months. He's played in four games so far, and Andrew, he is still Cam Johnson. He's averaging nearly 16 and six 
in those games, shooting 54% from three. In his limited minutes this season, he's played 304 minutes. The Suns have been plus 16.4 points better per 100 possessions when he is on the court. It's a small sample, but I'm feeling good about Cam. So that's one box we can check off. The next one is Chris Paul. So CP3 returned from a hip injury, and that had caused him to miss seven games. He's looking good as well. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the season, CP3, it was pretty rough. Okay, Through his first 10 games before he got a heel injury, he was shooting 37% from the field and 27% from three. The team was playing well at that time, but CP3 had people like myself legitimately concerned. Like, is this the end of the road? Since those first 10 games, however, he's played 19 games, and in those games, is shooting 46% from the field, 46% from three, averaging 16, four, and eight. A very kind of normal CP3 stat line. I watched their very bad loss to the Mavs without Luka on Thursday. Mm -hmm. One positive from that game, though, was how CP3 looked. Like, they're not going anywhere without a healthy Booker, but assuming Booker returns healthy, and John Gambadoro tweeted out that he thinks uh, Booker's going to be back this next week, CP3 is looking like he's fully capable of playing an important role on this team. So big picture, this team had gone on a little bit of a run as they started to get everyone back. They had won four in a row before that loss to Dallas, which included an impressive two-point win over the Grizzlies this week. Even with the bad Mavs loss, this team is looking primed to make a run once Booker comes back. But if that was it, I probably wouldn't be talking about the Suns this week. What's got me intrigued, Andrew, what's got my ears perked up, was the news this week that new Suns owner, Matt Ishbia, the man who played, who paid $4 billion for the Suns, will be taking over prior to the trade deadline. Now, before this news came out, feelings about the Suns' trade deadline were a little muted because Robert Sarver still had had full control over the decision-making. Now that we got the new guy in charge, Andrew, this deadline's looking a little more spicy to me. Mm -hmm. Because despite the way last season ended and how this season has gone with all their injuries, this is still a team that made the finals two seasons ago. They won 64 games last year. In a Western conference that has been as uninspiring as this one. If you're not willing to go all in with this Suns team, then when would you be willing? Now, you obviously have to check off that Booker box, but assuming he comes back healthy sometime next week, assuming you feel good about his return, you are happy with what you've seen from Cam and CP3, and you have this new owner who just spent $4 billion, how do you sit out this deadline? And I'm not talking about making some fringe deal for Jay Crowder, where you are definitely not getting two of the three things you were looking for, according to reports this week. As a reminder, the Suns have all their future firsts available to trade. They have the expiring contracts of not only Jay Crowder, who hasn't played for them at all, but also Dario Saric and Torrey Craig, who, to be fair, have been playing consistent minutes for them. But those three deals add up to about $25 million in expiring contracts. You also have DeAndre Ayton, who we all assumed back in the summer would eventually be traded after Phoenix matched Indiana's offer sheet. It's completely unclear to me what his trade value is right now, but he is eligible to be traded, though he does have veto power. I do think it's worth mentioning that according to Cleaning the Glass, the Suns have been 10.4 points per 100 possessions worse when Aiton is on the court this season. Wow. The Mm. point of all this is to say that the Suns have options right now, and this trade deadline represents a great opportunity for them to improve this team. This is likely their last chance to make a major move without touching a main piece of their core. 
Because this summer, things get a little more complicated. You have Camp Johnson's restricted free agency. You have to make a decision on Chris Paul, who only has $15 million guaranteed for next season if you yeah. waive him by June 28th. But based on how he's playing, I'm assuming they'll probably hold on to CP3. I'm assuming no. they're still going to have Booker, Bridges, and Cam on this team next season too, which means the mm -hmm. only way to make a big move this summer with those expirings now off the books will be what can you get with Aiton? And that's certainly an option, but you have so much more flexibility right now. Like this is your chance to make a move and add to that core while still potentially having the Aiton option available down the road. Now as Thunder fans, we are in the midst of a discussion among our fan base about when do you push the button? You know, when do you make the decision to go all in on a move to significantly upgrade your roster? When do you make that offer of multiple unprotected picks? How good do you have to be before that move makes sense? And while Andrew and I don't think the Thunder are close to that conversation yet, I think we Not both agree the Suns definitely are. And the Suns can put together yeah. that all-in package. Now, again, they obviously need a healthy Booker. Since December 27th, when Booker went out of the lineup, they have had the 30th ranked offense, according to Cleaning the Glass, essentially tied with Houston. But if you've gotten this far, you've made it to a finals, you won 64, you're still only a game and a half back of home court advantage despite all the injuries. If you're not willing to go all in now, are you positive there's going to be a better opportunity to do so in the future? I'm setting this all up to say that they're probably just going to make a Jay Crowder move, Andrew, and I'm going to be <laughs> disappointed. But... I have renewed hope with the news of the new owner that we could see fireworks at this trade deadline, and it's all because of the Suns. Got any ideas? Zero. Ben, ben, Simmons, ben Simmons to the Suns? <laughs> no. I mean, obviously, the Toronto guys, if you could somehow put together a package for Siakam, that would be thrilling. Oh, yeah. That would yeah, get that me would out be, of my seat, Andrew. That would be ideal. What about that Van Vliet? Van Vliet's been rumored, rumored to the Suns as well. Van Vliet's been rumored as well. That you could, you would obviously be able to do for a lot cheaper than any Siakam package. Yeah. Um, any of these types of moves are going to balloon your luxury tax payment. So I'm, a, I'm basing yeah. all these decisions on the fact that this new owner just paid a lot of money. I'm assuming he's super rich if he can pay $4 billion. So he's willing to do moves like this. Got to um, be rich. O, yeah. OG and Anobi. Like, you know, you, those are the only like big names that we've heard so far at this trade deadline. But I think each one of them, but especially Siakam, would be just like an incredible long-term move for this core. It would take a lot. They'd basically have to give up, you know, all of the picks unprotected with the unprotected swaps, I'm assuming, in that sort of yeah. a deal. Yeah, yeah. But I might consider it, Andrew. Yeah. Because I, I think be I would go all in with this team right now. Yeah. Another team that should probably go all in it's the mm. Denver Nuggets. We're going to talk to Adam Mares right after this break. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom. We spin a wheel each week, and it lands on a team, and we become fans of that team. This week, the wheel landed on the Denver Nuggets, the number one team in the Western Conference. It was a weird week to watch the Nuggets as multiple players set out multiple games, but we did get some entertaining basketball. In a game without Jokic and MPJ, the Nuggets lost a two-point game to the Thunder. Jokic then came back, and the Nuggets got a one-point win over the Pelicans in New Orleans. Finally, in what could have been a very fun matchup against the Bucks, the Nuggets were unfortunately missing four starters, Jokic, Murray, MPJ, and KCP. The Nuggets lost 107-99, dropping them to 1-2 on the week and 34-15 and overall. 
Per cleaning the glass, the Nuggets are first in offense and 17th in defense. Andrew, if our favorite team is the Nuggets, who is our guest? Ooh, boy, it's Adam Mares from DNVR and the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Adam, what's up, man? Well, excited to be here. I can't believe the Wheel of Destiny led you to the Nuggets. I think that's bad fortune <laughs> for you guys. Well, apparently, it was bad fortune for the Nuggets. <laughs> that's actually true, too. Yeah. It was It was such an odd week for the yeah. Nuggets with like all the absences and everything. But one guy who was there every night was Aaron Gordon. Who's having a career year? He's getting some all-star buzz as a result. Uh, this is Gordon's third season in Denver. What has been the biggest difference for him this year? Man, that's a, that's a one of the things is you, we're going to talk about what he's doing different, but I think a lot of this is just where he fits into a different roster now that best mm-hmm. utilizes his skill set, which I think is true. But to start with him and to give him credit, he is taking the ball up so strong this year. I mean, his dunk, he's going to set a record. Last year, he had 130 dunks. That was a record for him in his career. He's going to shatter that this year. Um, And a lot of that is, again, the defense is spread more thin with Michael Porter back and Jamal Murray back. But a part of that is that he's just trying to dunk everything, going up through multiple defenders, Zion-like dunks, Giannis-like dunks, just trying to go up and get contact. And I feel like he's, like, discovered a new, uh, almost like a new weapon in his game. Hmm. So – Part of the story this season with Denver has been their improving defense, of which Aaron Gordon is a part. Per cleaning the glass, Denver was the 28th ranked defense through December 15th. Since then, they've been the fourth ranked defense. What were some of the major factors that contributed to this in-season turnaround on defense? I I have to be, are you asking with that date specifically in mind? Is there a reason you picked that date? Uh, I really didn't. I was I was <laughs> gonna go back through the game logs and look at like the defensive right, efficiency, okay. but I just chose December fifteenth, kind of at random, and it worked out. Yeah, it's funny to me because I think the real turnaround started on December eighth. But let's go with December fifteenth because in Denver we always celebrate that as a holy day because it was the day that Nikola Jokic was named the starter back in twenty sixteen. December fifteenth. Oh, there you oh. go. So so it's funny because we <laughs> will often at DNVR, kind of tongue in cheek, but also kind of for real, cite stats from that date forward as <laughs> December fifteenth on Denver. That's awesome. And and every year, almost without fail, with from December fifteenth on, they have a top eight defense or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so this kind of is a trend with the team every single year. But I think one of the big things is you look at this season, we predicted it would happen. Everybody, you, me, everybody in the media. Jamal Murray coming back from injury, probably going to take 20 games before he's back to full health. Michael Porter's mm-hmm. coming back. It's going to take 20 games. December 15th is right around that 20 game mark. So I think a lot of what's happened with Denver is they got a favorable schedule. They got to play at home where they weren't for the first 20 games of the season. They were on the road for the most of that. They got to play at home and then they just got over the hump physically from those injuries that they were uh, rehabbing from. We were watching so that. I was going to say in the Thunder game, some of the lineups they threw out, and obviously Jokic wasn't in that game, but down the stretch, like the defensive lineups with, you know, Bruce Brown, Aaron Gordon, KCP, Zeke Naji, then Jamal Murray, like it was terrifying. That was, a, that was a huge defensive lineup that they could suddenly put out. I think Calvin Booth, and I Tim Conley was on this track already, but Calvin Booth has really sped it up. And, okay, you've got Jamal Murray, you've got Nikola Jokic, you got Michael Porter, what else do you need on offense? That's your offense. That's a yeah. 99.9% of it. You need guys who are, you know, not, not negatives. I don't, you're not bringing in guys that can't dribble shoot or whatever, but mostly it's just length and defense. And if you look at every other player on the roster, they either bring a lot of defense or a lot of length. In in most cases, both the player that was added to the roster and Christian Brown, six, seven guard with great defense. Um, yep. 
You know, so I think the team just bolstered their defense. Zeke Naji is coming along. And Denver, I don't know if they're all the way there. That's why I think this trade deadline will be interesting for them. But right now, it's just trusting that Murray and Jokic are enough offensive engines that all you have to put around them is length. Yeah, what what are the early returns on Calvin Booth? Like, what are your what are your thoughts on him? I think he's been great. Um, he has a clear vision. One of the things I like about him is he has a clear vision and I think a clear player type. You see this when you're around a GM for long enough. You you know, talk to them, see the moves that they make. Tim Conley, I think, really liked skill players with a lot of upside, and he hit some home runs with that, not just with Nikola Jokic, but Monte Morris was one of the last players taken in the second round. Turns out to be yeah. a starting point guard now. Like He has a lot of these Jared Vanderbilt. He's a lot of the Malik Beasley, these great picks. Guys, he loved upside. I think Calvin Booth loves length, loves defense, and is trying to build a roster that is – and he's not the only one, by the way. That This is kind of the invoke thing to try to get six, seven guards, six, nine forwards. Um, mm-hmm. But – he almost seems to be taking shots exclusively on players like that, not just in KCP, which was great. Bruce Brown, who was great. Christian Brown, who I mentioned. Peyton Watson is another draft pick he took, who's like a flyer on a player that might turn into a great defender at six foot nine. But then he brought in a guy in Jack White as a two-way guy, which you look at him and say, a lot of two-way guys are, oh man, this guy can shoot if we can just teach him how to do this or that. Jack White is already like a low ceiling, high floor player that might just be a defensive guy that they can add. So even the risks he's taking are risks to find long defenders. Hmm. So it's been a great comeback season for Jamal Murray so far. He's played in 41 of 49 games and is averaging the second highest points per game of his career and a career high in assists per game. Uh, He's looked great in the two games that we got to watch, but as someone who's probably watched every game of his career, do you feel like he's all the way back? And is there anything like left on the table there for Jamal before the playoffs? So I think he's not all the way back athletically. I would say he's 80%, 85%. But this is kind of typical where Jamal usually is in January to begin with. Jamal was never his peak physical condition in January. He was always a player that ramped up towards the playoffs and then got that quickness and had, as we all know, great playoff, playoff runs. So I think athletically he's probably like right on line with where he typically is, but I know he has more to offer, more dunks, more just getting to the rim, what have you. But where I think he's actually better than ever before is just as a decision maker and as a floor general. And I wonder if this is like you sit on the bench for two years, what else do you have to do? But kind of like just you're watching the game, you're thinking about different things. But he just yeah. more in control as a point guard than ever before and reading the court and just like running a unit that, than ever before. So I would so that's a tough question to answer. In some ways, he's better than ever. I still think athletically, though, he can be uh, he has another gear. So with someone like Jokic, who's been so consistent for so many years, it can be hard for people who don't watch him every night to see where he's improved. So I wanted to ask you about a stat and have you provide the context for oh, that man. stat, because he is shooting. on 12.9 two-pointers per game this season, which is absurd. No one in NBA history has even come close to doing that. I did a stat head search, and even if you make the cutoff 10 two-point attempts per game, the next highest is Jokic last season at (laughs) 65.2, and then it's Clint Capella at 64.8, Charles Barkley at 64.3. The gap between Jokic and even himself last season is significant. Do you think this is a byproduct of the offensive explosion we're seeing league-wide? Or have you noticed something about his scoring inside the arc that is new this season? Like, why is he so much better there? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a it, there's a reason all these numbers are going up this year. Everybody's numbers, the superstar numbers, like, are, are off the charts, including Nikola's. 
But I do think that um, just like with Aaron Gordon, his percentages are through the roof because now you're getting less – the defense is spread more thin. You're getting more favorable matchups. I think Nikola is benefiting from that a little bit, quite a bit as well. And some of this is it's shot selection. Not every player you can add all the offensive weapons around and then their shot selection gets better because, hey, why do I need to shoot this one? We have other options. Nikola is and Aaron Gordon, to his credit, have been both been the guy that are taking fewer shots. But the shots they're cutting out are the difficult ones. They're still taking those exact same shots. They always took the open floaters, the open layups, uh, the shots down the middle of the paint. But the last piece of this is. When we talk about Nikola, and if you don't watch him all the time, people have this impression of him of he's a really good post-up player and he's a great passer. They don't realize he also probably has the single best touch of anybody in the NBA. He's the best floater zone shooter in all of the NBA. He's an excellent rebound. Like he has all of these traits where he's probably the number one guy. And one of them is as a seven-foot floater shooter, he's the best in the NBA full stop. And that's the type of shots he takes right now. Yeah. Adam, you are a veteran of the yearly MVP debate. Jokic has <laughs> won back-to-back and now is going for a three-peat, something that only three players in NBA history have ever accomplished. Right? Uh, how do you think his case for MVP this season compares to the last two? I think it's the exact same. I think it, they, there's different qualifiers every single year, but if you just... yeah, When we just try to say, okay, who's having the most valuable season, he's at least in this conversation. I mean, right now he's clearly number one according to all the sports books, but... It's just cut and dry. Does he provide value to the team? Absolutely. What's funny is last year he had the statistical argument, the advanced statistical argument, and then the on-off stuff. And I think the reason he won was it was like clearly he's dragging this team up to within striking distance of all the top teams in the NBA and looking when he's off the court, whatever. But last year, the one argument people had against him was, yes, but we need to reward winning. And that's what's so funny this year. His efficiency is through the roof. He might average a triple-double. He might also have the most efficient 20-point-per-game scoring season in NBA history. And his team is has a great chance of being the number one record in all of the NBA. So I, it's a lot of the same stuff. Is he valuable? Absolutely. And now he checks the box with everybody healthy. He checks the box of, oh, yeah, it actually is impactful in the exact same ways we speculated it would be in the previous two seasons. So before we go to trivia, uh, just for people who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about 100 Invisible Threads and how people yeah. can watch it? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, that's a documentary, 100 Invisible Threads. It's up on YouTube, and it's a documentary I made with uh, the rest of the DMVR Nuggets crew um, looking back at the history of basketball in Yugoslavia, which is a fascinating history. People ask, like yeah. people casually ask, but never get the the answer of like, why are there all of these former Yugoslavian players, Serbian, Bosnian, uh, Croatian, Slovenian? Why are there so many of them that are in the NBA and all of these great talents come from there? Turns out there's an actual answer to that question. And it's both, you know, physical attributes of the people there, but also this really interesting cultural and basketball history that spans 70 years and has some crazy stories that I had never heard before. And when I got to go out to Serbia last summer and hear firsthand all of these different accounts of their international success, all the gold medals they won and, and the pride they took in that, it was like, oh, it's like learning about basketball in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. You're like, oh, yeah, there's a culture and history here. And that's yeah. why they're so good at producing players. And how many people did you guys take over there? We had seven. We had a quite a quite right, a crew, so, two producers and then five of us uh, Nuggets analysts. That, that so is cool. so awesome. That, that, it was is, awesome. that has to be a dream for us, Andrew. We have to do a down to dunk trip. I know, somewhere. We can go to Australia for Josh Giddy. 
we'd go for Josh Giddy. That'd yeah. be amazing. They will embrace you, man. There are a lot of hoopers down there. All right. Well, Adam, it is time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia show, where Andrew goes head to head against a beat writer. This week, it's the Nuggets edition. Adam Mars of the NBR and Locked On Nuggets. Adam, how this works? Eight questions about the Nuggets. Each one is worth two points if you get it right, or Andrew can steal if you get it wrong for one point. And we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. All I need from you is a number between one and eight to get started. You know, I think I do this every time. Let's go with seven. Question number seven. Which of the following is not a nickname associated with a Denver Nugget player on BasketballReference.com? I'm going to read five nicknames. Four of them appear on BasketballReference.com. One of them does not. The nicknames are The Commish, Big Honey, Ken, Mr. Dependable, and Showtime. Again, those nicknames are The Commish. Big Honey, Ken, Mr. Dependable, and Showtime. All right. So what's funny about this one is Mr. Dependable is Davon Reed's nickname, but he was on our show and we asked him about it. He'd never heard that nickname before in his life. So (laughs) (laughs) it's one of these ones that is, uh, he is on basketball reference, but even he doesn't know what it is. (laughs) So I have to get it down to the commish and Ken. You said Ken. I did say Ken. Yes. K-E-N. I'm guessing that's Kenny Pope, so I'm going to go with the commish. Adam, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, the commish is one I found on both Nuggets uh, like Reddit threads and also Orlando Magic Reddit threads about Aaron Gordon, linking him to Commissioner Gordon and then shortening ah. that to the commish. Uh, oh, I like that. So that is two points for yeah. Adam. Andrew, you are on the board. Let's go. Uh, number one. Question number one. Ooh, that's a good one. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Nuggets have the number one offense in the league. The last time Denver finished the season with the number one offense was the 2010-2011 season. That team won 50 games and lost in the first round to the Oklahoma City Thunder. There were 12 players who played for that Nuggets team in the playoffs, and we're going to try to name them all. And I actually think you guys have a chance to get all 12 because all these guys... Our names. You know all these guys. So, Andrew, we'll start okay. with you, and then we'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. Ty Lawson. That is correct. So, this is the 2010-2011 Denver Nuggets. Um, uh, Adam? Danilo Gallinari? That is correct. Back to Andrew. Was Thick Daddy Ray Felton on that team? Of course he was. Raymond Felton was on that team. Back to Adam. Wilson Chandler. Wilson Chandler was on that team. Back to Andrew. I knew you guys would know all of these. Uh, a guy that Thunder fans endlessly wanted the Thunder to trade for, Aaron Aflalo. That is correct on both counts. Okay, back to Adam. Oh, it's tough here. I'm pretty sure Mozgov was on this team as well. Timofey Mozgov. Timofey Mozgov was briefly on this team, but did not ah, play in no. the playoffs, unfortunately. <laughs> so points go to Andrew. The Man, other guys, of course, uh, Nene, Kenyon Martin, J.R. Smith, uh, Birdman, Al Harrington, Gary Forbes, and Costa Kufos played, I believe, Al two Harrington. Minutes. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Okay, so we have a tie game after two questions. And, Adam, you are on the board. Let's go three. Three time MVP. Question number three. All right. Michael Porter Jr. is shooting 40.4% from three on 6.7 attempts per game. Who was the last nugget? 
to take at least five threes per game and shoot over 40%? Man, that's a good question. So I think Gary Harris is, I think he had a 39.8 year. So I think he's not going to qualify <laughs> on that many attempts, huh? Yes, I'm not rounding up. <laughs> not rounding How up. many attempts is it again? Al? At least five threes per game. Taking at least five okay. threes. And I mean, I'll guess I'll I'll have to go with uh, J.R. Smith. I don't think he ever got that. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. You can think of the last nugget to take at least five threes per game and shoot over 40%. And I have a secondary Over 40% is the tough one. Um, Dude, I just have no idea. Chauncey Billups. I have no idea. Andrew, that's actually absolutely correct. It was Chauncey Billups. The year that he was traded... From Detroit, he yes. played 77 games for the Nuggets, wow. took 5.1 threes per game and shot 41%. Yeah. Wow. believe it. So that's a point for Andrew. And Andrew, you have control of the board. Number two. Question number two. What is DeAndre Jordan's career high in points in a single game? <laughs> now, for this one, Andrew, you get to choose who answers first. You can answer first, and then Adam will go higher or lower, or you can make Adam answer first. If any of either of you get exactly correct, you get a bonus point. Oh man, there is a range of believable numbers for this <laughs> that I that is like too wide for me in my brain. Um, I'll say thirty-two. Thirty-two points is where Andrew has set the bar. Adam, would you like to go higher or lower? Lower. That is correct. DeAndre Jordan once scored 30 points in yeah. a game. Oh, man. 32. <laughs> so close. And that means oh. after four questions, we are still tied. Three to three. And Perfect. Adam, you have control of the board. Let's go with eight. Question number eight, the final question. Other than Jokic and Jamal Murray, who on the Nuggets has scored the most points in a game? And it could be at any point in their career, not necessarily as a nugget, could be as a nugget. So we're leaving out Jokic and Jamal Murray. Who would be next on that list? Most points scored in a game in their career. Oh, boy. Who goes first on this one? Is this me? Uh, Adam, this is your question. You and Michael Adam, Porter's at 39. I know Aaron Gordon has a 37. I don't know if he has a 40. Bruce Brown's not going to be it. Kenny Pope, I don't know. Jeff Green probably has a game out there somewhere. Man, there's nobody else there. Um, nobody I'm forgetting. I'll go with uh, Michael Porter. I know he's got 39. He does have 39, but someone has scored more. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Who could it be? I'll say Jeff Green. Jeff Green once scored 43 points <laughs> in a game, which is the highest <laughs> Dang it. of this group. Aaron Gordon, I think he had, I think he was in the middle. He had 41 once really? a time. Okay. Wow. All right, Andrew, you have the lead and control of the board. Three questions left. Number four. Number four. Ooh, I love this question. Christian Brown has played 618 minutes so far in his rookie season. Since Carmelo Anthony, which Nuggets rookie played the most minutes in their rookie season with 2,068 minutes played? Oh my gosh. So since Carmelo. Carmelo since played like Melo. almost 3,000 minutes. So since Carmelo, who played 2,068 minutes as a Nuggets rookie? 
Oh my gosh. I feel like you'd have to go back to like some some bad years <laughs> for the Nuggets to find somebody to play that many minutes. Um, shoot. Any guesses, Andrew? I'm just, I just really don't know. What about Emmanuel Moutier? Oh, no. <laughs> Andrew, that is absolutely correct. It was I Emmanuel I Moutier. can't believe you struggled and then pulled it out. Damn it. <laughs> Adam, did you know that one? Was that going to be would have been. That would have been my guess. I mean, he started game one and they played him despite him being terrible every game. So. <laughs> he was super terrible. I actually really liked it. I like the idea too. of him going into the draft. So. I wanted the Sixers to take him uh, other than Okafor. <laughs> Uh, okay, Adam, there's two questions left. Still uh, a shot here. Still a shot. Still I'll go number five. Question number five. Aaron Gordon currently has 120 dunks on the season. Tied for most in the NBA. Who is he tied with? Man, I mean, I would have to... There's a lot of dunks. I just have to think it'd be Giannis. I know he missed a couple games, but... It's a lot of dunks, 120. So, I'll, I'll go, man, Claxton, I know, has a handful... Uh, I'll go Giannis. Giannis is third. Oh. But he is not first. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Do you know who Aaron Gordon is tied with for dunks? 120 of them. I believe Giannis has 117. Gosh, I just I have no idea who this is. Is it Nick Claxton? Would you believe? It is Rudy Gobert. Uh, the trade was worth it, Andrew. The 120 wow. dunks tied for most. <laughs> Turns out everybody's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All right, final question, Andrew. You get first dibs. In 362 okay. minutes, the Nuggets starting five is a plus 16.4. The only okay. other teams with a starting five who has played at least 300 minutes together and has a double-digit positive net rating are Golden State, plus 19.5, and this team, whose starting lineup is a plus 12.5. So this team's starting lineup, very good, plus 12.5, and they've played at least mm -hmm. 300 minutes together. Who is that team? Oh, man. Is this the Kings? A good guess. It is not the Kings. Adam, you have a chance to steal. I th man, this is going to be a really dumb guess because it doesn't make logical sense. But I think I thought I saw this the other day. Was it the Atlanta Hawks? Adam, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> and while it wasn't enough to win, it was a great ending. But go. Andrew oh, wins really six to four is our final score. Oh man, the shocker. Yeah, that's that's a that was a good one. That's a good pull. Uh, go check out Adam on Twitter. At give me your Adam at, underscore Maris, and then DNVR. Adam yeah. underscore Maris. Yeah, yeah. Go check out DNVR. It is the concept is so cool. If you don't know anything about it, will you explain to people just like what you guys are doing? I mean, we up there? yeah. I mean, we do a lot of different stuff with di digital media, but we do the, our flagship is our pregame and postgame show for all Nuggets games, which is live on YouTube straight from the DNVR bar, um, which is a bar we own in downtown Denver. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. So go check that out. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Thank you, guys. All right, Andrew, that was Nuggets Week. A great week. But now it's time to choose a new favorite team. We have 19 teams left to uh, be picked from. 
And you know, ideally, if the wheel wants to be nice to us, it would be nice to get a team that's been in trade conversations. The deadline is right around the corner. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe an all-star reserve selection to talk about. That would be uh, nice as well. So That'd let's spin the wheel and see who we get. This week's Wheel of oh, Fandom boy. team will be... The Houston <laughs> Rockets. Hey, 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 hey. You know, I've been do- I've been dogging on the Rockets all year, but they've started turning around a little bit. They've started to look like a more cohesive basketball team. Uh-huh. So I'm kind I'm a I'm a little bit in on this. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a little bit in on the uh the Shangun experience here. So uh, well, the other thing is uh Kelly Eco, he just put up a He's actually written two of these, like, trade deadline primers for the Rockets. Yeah, and, man. Uh, the yeah. one, the most recent one, suggesting that Eric Gordon very likely to be moved. That was my impression that yeah. I took away from it. Yeah, I feel I feel like oh my Charlie gosh. Brown with Look at that this. one. Look at these Football. games we get. Okay. Oh, dude, I know. <laughs> I, kn- I, knew this was, I knew this was about to happen. I knew it. Hey, only two games, though, before our next, uh, our next, our next show. So, at the yeah. Pistons... At the Pistons, yeah. Rockets, Pistons, this, we're, 4 p.m. We're on a Saturday sl- is how I'm going to be spending my slumming Saturday. Slumming it, it on Saturday at 4. Uh, and then next Wednesday, <laughs> they play uh, OKC, which we're already watching yeah. that game, so kind of convenient. So, uh, good it's week. Extremely convenient. That is that is a very low amount of games. <laughs> it's only two games. <laughs> That's crazy. And one of them is going to be a nasty game. It's going to be a very, very nasty game. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh Thanks so much for listening. If you want to have your name read on this podcast, just leave us a five-star review and we'll read it right here on the show. Uh, this one comes from DJ Froglove. says, five stars. Slam Jam, thank you, ma'am. When I first started listening to Slam and Jam, Andrew had never won a versus the beat. Now I'm watching him dominate my favorite NBA personalities, Rip, Trey Kirby, Thanks for making my Saturdays a little better every week. Excited to listen about the Denver Nuggets next week. Or, as my wife would say, the sexy little nuggies. Keep Uh it up. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, thanks for this one that comes from T.I.O.I.7CB8H slash colon very cool name <laughs> wi-fi very cool wi-fi name, name. <laughs> yeah <laughs> five stars enjoyed what a week that was with alex love the focus on what's going on on the court every week thanks so much for that hope you guys enjoy this weekend and the basketball and we will talk to you guys again next week